Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and you're all around hiring guru. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the music to that intro, it just kind of gets me going, makes me want to dance, even though I have no groove. But let me tell you something, today on the show, the guests that we have, I bet she's got groove and can dance, and I know she's got energy, so you better hang on for this one. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Tracy Jones, president of Tremendous Leadership, decorated veteran, and renowned speaker. She also just happens to be the daughter of the known spe- well-known speaker, Charlie Tremendous Jones, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, but he happens to be one of my favorite authors. He was introduced to me by a former guest. So today she joins us to discuss about taking a new job and loving it. Um, Tracy is passionate about helping others make the most of opportunities and succeed with what they have. And I really wanna make sure that I get all that in there. So I'm having to read from my script today, but Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. And um, how's the weather? It's beautiful, Casey. It's the beginning of December and we're in the Northeast in Pennsylvania. And it's, today was about 45, but the leaves are down, a little bit of snow flurries. It's, uh, winter's beautiful. In, in the Northeast. Well, yeah. I wanted to ask for sure, because I know this is take two for us, make sure there were no thunderstorms in the area, because <laughs> we just got cut off. We were going so good. This That past summer, we had so many storms, and I, I think we're good for tonight. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Because I really want to finish this conversation and get it out there to our audience, because I know it's going to be amazing, regardless of when we record. So but first, let's start with how we got connected. Absolutely. Well, as usual, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, but great people have this unbelievable knack for connecting great people. And as my father always said, you're going to be the same person five years from now, except for the books you read and the people you meet. So we met through Laura Di Benedetto. And actually, Laura got connected to me through Mark Victor Hansen. So <sighs> she just kept paying it down the line, paying it down the line. And now we just, every time there's an intersection, at least Probably once a week, I get another email from Laura about who she wants to introduce me to and and vice versa. So I'm just uh, tremendously thankful to her and and for you for reaching out right away and connecting. Yeah, so I have to tell you, when she introduced us via email, Tracy Jones, she didn't give me any of your backstory. And, you know, and I typically, because whenever I schedule to talk to people, it's usually further down in the... future because, you know, you're busy, I'm busy, you know, and so I want to be sure that your background is fresh on my mind when we talk. And so right before we we spoke, before our interview, I went and looked you up and I went, OMG, she is the daughter of Charlie Tremendous Jones. And I sent Laura an email and I said, you just introduced me to the freaking daughter of Charlie Tremendous Jones. And she goes, yeah, and I was like... <laughs> That's so know, I know she is so laid back. And then the curious thing was the reason I was introduced to your dad was because one of my former guests on the show, George Henley, actually gave me his compilation book as a gift after he was a guest. 
that George, he's so tremendous, and we still are in touch. And I, I just love legacy businesses because you continue like to see what the greats have done, and then our generation keeps connecting and keeps reintroducing the next generation. So that's just wonderful. You know, a lot of tremendous people, Casey. I am so fortunate that I do and that those tremendous people keep introducing me to more tremendous people because I just, I love making new friends and I love meeting mm -hmm. new people. So this is, this is my world. I love doing this, but. Well, it's a good thing. And it reminds me, you know, as leadership and that, and that's the field I'm in, but you know, in, in executive recruiting, that's what you're looking for. And I always tell people, you don't have to know everything, but you need to know everybody. And you can know everybody, especially the way the world is now. Just ask mm -hmm. and you can get in and see who's connected to who and just uh, and people that are great connectors. They love to be asked because sometimes we're like, oh, should I ask them? And they're just like, I wish somebody would ask me. So I learned that early, early on. Just go ahead and ask. What's the yeah. worst they're going to say? No one's ever said no. You know, one of my mentors told me one time and I, I promise you, this is what really got me going. She goes, Casey, just get your ask in gear. I was like, that's awesome. Isn't that yes. great? It is great yeah. <laughs> because they're not, they're not mind readers. They don't know who, you know, what you don't know, what you need. Mm -hmm. And that's why people are like, and, and uh, sometimes the expectation is that you would let them know like a doctor, a doctor doesn't know if you're sick or not. They're waiting for you to tell them what you need to, to, to fix you. And that's the way a lot of the greats are. They're busy. They have a huge Rolodex of wonderful resources and they're just waiting for somebody to say, Hey, do you know anybody that you can connect me for this? And they love doing it. Absolutely. So, you know, this, this show is an opportunity for us to get to know you a little bit better. So we've talked about all the people we have in, rela in relation to each other, but tell me a little bit about you, your background and what led you to do what you do today. Well, Casey, um, I, you talked about my father, and obviously he was a really big influence in my life. And uh, Willie Jolly, who I had on my podcast, who was a dear friend of my father's, he said there's three things that really comprise us as individuals. Our imprinting, like our genetic coding, like I'm, I'm tall, I'm uh, more extroverted, so there's some things you get from the genetic uh, luck of the draw. Um, your influences, and this is uh, who you grow up with. Who shapes your life? What you're exposed to as a child and into early adulthood? And then thirdly, after that, after your uh, influences, are your inspiration. What do you really want to be? What are your convictions? What are your goals? So for me, the imprinting was a lot of the tremendous DNA that my dad had. I am. I am my father's daughter. Uh, so there were six kids. And my dad always said that the reason he only had six kids is because my mother really didn't like children. Okay. So he was just this Weisenheimer. And he said, we're all boys except four. So he's just, he was very gregarious, very silly. So I got that imprinting. I pulled a lot of him. People look at me and they're like, yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt whose daughter you are. Um, but then the influences growing up, I got to sit under the tutelage of growing up with a motivational speaker under the likes of people like Ken Blanchard and Norman Vincent Peale and Brian Tracy and Mark mm -hmm. Victor Hansen and these wonderful people that as a, I mean, at, he would take me to meetings when I was a little girl and I just, I loved what he did. And so I got exposed as a really young child. Uh, I tell people, I think I read how to win friends and influence people before the pokey little puppy, you know, it was very <laughs> driven. And as a motivational speaker, 
He was totally hysterical. So it was like a sitcom every day, but he was also very focused. And so it was often like boot camp. So it was like fun, work, fun, work, work, fun, work, fun. And so that's kind of how, how I grew up. And it was weird and it was wild. He took away the TVs when we were teenagers. And this is back in the 60s, early 70s, when there was nothing to watch on TV anyways. And he's like, if you have spare time, you need to be reading, volunteering, studying, doing book reports, working, or doing sports. You don't sit there and watch the boob tube, you know? And I'm like, oh man, can't we just be normal, dad? No. He's like, when you're 18, you can go do whatever you want. But until then, and I'm so thankful because he yeah. really taught us um, a lot of a lot of great lessons that the earlier in life you learn, the more tremendous a life you're gonna have. Because it's truth and you're gonna encounter these lessons sooner or later. So why not sooner? So that was kind of my upbringing. I love that. I love that you had that. See, I do that now, you know, and I, I, I focus myself now to be that driven, to be, you know, I don't watch TV. I read, I write, I do all these kind of things. But man, think about where I would be today if somebody had made me do that as a kid. It would be amazing. Y'all wouldn't be able to stop me. I love it. Well, the good news is, you know, I believe there is no lost time. I believe, and because I would look at it and say, boy, there were there were decades when I was in the wilderness just wasting time, um, not really living the highest version of me. But the beauty is, as long as you're, you're breathing and you're alive, there's a reason God has you on this planet. So all that time, you can redeem it. So don't beat yourself up too hard, Casey. I think you're pretty darn tremendous. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I was, I was like, come on, give me a compliment. That's what I'm looking for. Just kidding. <laughs> But it's so true. And that's what I try to tell people that I work with, especially like new grads right now and any young person that will listen to me and not think, oh, no, you're too old, you know, <laughs> but I'm just like, please, please do these things now. You will be so grateful when you're my age and you won't, you know, have this and you may, you may still have this voracious appetite to continue to learn so that you can be better all the time, but spark it now, you know, so that you are getting that creativity going. So you just said something about what your dad said about fun and all that kind of stuff. So I, I read a blog post of yours in which you recall your father telling you, Tracy, work is more fun than fun. So what advice can you share with our audience to find the same passion for what they do? Well, he dialed into uh, some things early in his life, and he had a really difficult upbringing. Uh, first of all, I think when people look at these larger-than-life figures, they're like, oh, well, they just, they just came out of the womb that way. He did not. He uh, was born in extreme poverty from Alabama. He would have been 95 if he was alive today. Mm. So you kind of get that that generation uh, of what I think he was born in 27. Mm. And so, you know, long time ago and the world was a different place. So came from extreme poverty. Uh, his family broke up early. His mother left and um, he was the oldest of five little siblings. And um, with his father just in the deep south in poverty, flunked out of school in the eighth grade. And uh, so really had absolutely nothing. And he just went ahead and realized that, um, hey, life is what you make it. And so he found three things. And, and, and my dad says, there's only three decisions in life you really need to make. And this all orients back to really work is more fun than fun. Who are you gonna live your life with? What are you gonna live your life in? And who are you gonna live your life for? So in his early 20s, very early 20s, he met my mother, Gloria, 
who was the love of his life and they eloped after 13 weeks. Okay. I mean, they just, they just did it. Right. And then, um, what are you going to live your life doing? And he found life insurance with mutual New York. And that gave, uh, his, this wonderful entrepreneurial salesman without the credentials to Mac it up, just sales is beautiful because whatever you want, is the sky's the limit for mm -hmm. however you want to make put in. And then who are you going to live your life for? So he met Christ as a young life insurance salesman. A guy jumped in his car and he was going to sell him a life insurance policy. And this guy sold him eternal life insurance. Okay. And so that really, when my father, when you get that kind of three-legged stool together, and for our listeners out there, Casey, um, who I live my life with, what I live my life for, those things have changed for all of us. Some people like my dad got it right the first time. I did not. You know, I'm on my second marriage. Uh, by the grace of God, I found somebody, you know, later in life to live life with. I've changed my career uh, at least six different times. But his point was, when you're in it, be all in it. And so I think what I really witnessed with him was he just, in whatever he had, in whatever circumstances, and it wasn't all easy, he brought his A game and was totally all in. And of course, the tagline to life is tremendous is enthusiasm makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And his whole mantra was do it with passion or not at all. And when you approach work as a joy, as a passion, and you are dedicated to excellence, it doesn't matter who your boss is or what you're doing. It's just another opportunity to grow your experience, serve with excellence, and bring light into a typically probably dark or dull or sad space. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, I love so much of what you just said there. I wish we could just like rewind and repeat it because, you know, I, I feel like, you know, maybe I'm channeling your dad just a little bit because I feel like I want to help people find their passion so they never work a day in their life. And when I'm talking about passion, it could be career passion, it could be life passion, whatever it is, but be passionate about it, right? And I love what I do so much that, you know, I, I love the studio where I record. They have a mantra, it's called, thank God it's Monday. And I that's how I feel like I live my life because I can't wait to get back you know, to help people find a new job or help clients find that perfect talent. And so, and the reason I'm sharing that with you is because I think it's so important because I feel that I want to pass that on to others. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about recruiting is because I want to help those people find the job where it's not really a job. It's they go to have fun. So. Right. Well, and he would always tell me, remember, he always say, Tracy, the job doesn't make you, you make the job. So although, and that's very counterintuitive, although we're out there looking for this quote, dream job, he would always say to me, if you're not happy where you is, you won't be happy where you ain't. And his <laughs> point was, we always think the next marriage or the next church or the next best friend or the next um, piece of clothing or the next job is going to fill that void. The only void that can be filled is from within. And when you learn that, whatever job you're in, and I've had many, many jobs. I've had like five different careers. And I always knew, you know what? This isn't my work is fun job, but I can gain experience, okay? Because that work is fun job, that's a progressive thing, a seasoning that you only get when you have showed life that you are ready, willing, and able to pay the price. There's mm -hmm. something about, now there's a few people that land it right away, but they're kind of the, the unicorns. They're the anomalies. Yep. The rest of us, it's more of a seasoning. It's like iron sharpens iron. It's a mature, maturation process. And Casey, it's a self-awareness process. There are things that I'm good at now that I had no idea 
in my first job that I had any kind of a talent for. So the beauty of, for all the listeners out there, is you're, you're filling your resume and getting as much experience as you can. My dad would always say that, earn your stripes and wherever you go, whatever you do, just go all in and grow that, build that resume. Okay. And the more you do that, then you'll understand what the next, uh, step in your career progression should be because you don't know in your 30s what you're going to be good at in your 40s and your 50s and your 60s and and as i had it explained to me from 20 to 40 typically are your learning years you go over you work as many you you fail often fail early and uh, get as much um, up here as you can uh, your 40 to 60 are your earning years. That's where you parlay your cred, your experiences. You get in and start negotiating what your value is to the organization. And then if you really do it right, your 60 to 80 years are your yearning years where you have had successful careers. You've put money away. I have people that have several different retirements and now they're free to serve. This is where you get to the highest level of serving where you're starting your own business or you're going full time into um, a nonprofit organization or you realize I've done well, I've built my collateral, I built my portfolio and now I want to go and change the world. And that is the most exciting time, Casey, because my client, my market, I always thought it'd be like young emerging leaders. Oh no. Oh no, it's 65 to 85 people that are realizing now I get to live my best life. So it's like VIP of the golden years kind of thing. And it's really exciting. I love that. And you know what? I don't know if anybody else was supposed to hear that message today about what you just said, but I needed to hear that because you just gave me such peace about where I'm at and why I'm here now by talking about the 20 to the 40 as your learning years. And as soon as you said that, there was like this click in my head. And I went, oh, that makes a whole lot more sense looking back. There's nothing to regret. I, you know, I got here as fast as I could, but, but you have to put in that time to yes. learn and do that, gain that self-awareness, which I obviously didn't have before, um, in order to get to where you want to be so that you can live in your passion. Absolutely. And the military was very much like that. I was in the Air Force, and, and but all the services are like this. There's a certain amount of time in rank. You, you know, you have to be a second lieutenant. You can't just come in. I don't care if General Patton was your father. You don't get to come in as a general. Everybody starts out as a second lieutenant. You spend two years as a second lieutenant, and then you become a first lieutenant. You spend two years as a first lieutenant. And then after those four years, they figure, okay, you might be you might have enough that you can actually speak at the table and then you're a captain for seven years and then you become a major so it really taught um hey there's seasoning that happens uh just because you show up that doesn't mean that you are um, able to really sit at the table and be a full-on contributor there's that apprenticeship and mm -hmm. then you move on to individual contributor and then you move on to managerial roles and leadership roles and that takes time and that takes seasoning so i tell people hey don't regret it and th those time frames uh, are just kind of a rule of thumb some people blow through them faster and uh, some people like me i took a little bit longer in the learning years and kind of exited probably my mid-40s I love that. So let's kind of go back to those early learning years for just a minute. And let's let's think about somebody that's taking a new job. You know, that can be a huge change, a huge stressor for somebody. And, and it can be scary. You know, I, even, you know, when I switched to VIP, 
it, you know, I left a career or I left a company that I'd been with for a while and it was, it was scary. I had to make some new friends. So, you know, what insights can you share to help people embrace the challenges of a new job in order to succeed? Well, that, that's such a great question. There's two things everybody should really focus on first and foremost. Number one, before you take any job, and if you've already taken it, okay, that's okay. We can work backwards from that. But really before any job, the one thing, Casey, I really wish I would have done was, I really wish I would have checked out the organization and made sure that there was a really good value congruence. Okay. And that means that the mission of the company is really what was at the heart of my core values and my convictions. Because just like dating somebody that you're not on the mm -hmm. same sheet of music, it may be fun in the beginning and you kind of can ignore it or think somebody will change, but it's unequally yoked. Okay. Sooner or later, it's, it's, it's like wearing the wrong shoe size. It's gonna pinch so much you have to take it off. So I would really say with an organization and, and, and Casey, in my years where I was learning and even earning, I didn't put too much stock in the values. Uh, you know, They were good companies, it was the military, it was high tech. So I just said, okay, we're doing good things for the world. But then the older I got, I'm like, yeah, but I wanna, I wanna do more than just make more money and get a new title. And I started to feel this urge. So really just understand some of our listeners may be in their twenties and have that really philanthropic heart. If that's important, don't go work for a Fortune 100 company where it's more bottom line driven. That's not gonna be a good fit for you. Know where your values are. But for people like me, I was just like, it's exciting, it's fast, it's furious, let's go to war, let's ship pieces of equipment worth $10 million. And, and that was what I liked at the time and that's what I was good at. So know your values, know your convictions before you go into any organization and make sure that you are aligned with them because sooner or later, it's gonna, it's, there's gonna be a rub. The second thing, and I wish I would have done this, really understand what kind of a leader you best respond to. Oh, because the yes. job, people don't leave jobs they yep. leave their boss. Okay. I've never left a bad job, but I've left many bad bosses and shame on me that I didn't understand. I didn't do enough disc training or, or Myers-Briggs or standout 2.0. I didn't understand what was going on. You know, there's this friction, there's this rub. And I thought, well, is it personality? I'm pretty, I'm a middle child. So my, I'm pretty adaptable. But what I didn't understand was there's certain things that I was coded with um, for instance, one of my favorite tests is Tom Wraith's Standout 2.0 Assessment. For listeners out there, I would really highly recommend taking that. And it'll come down to two different groups that you're um, most qualified in. And mine were advisor and ethicist. So what that meant was, if there's a problem, I am compelled to solve it. And if you keep talking about a problem and it's not solved, I get triggered. So what does that mean? That means I'm not good in bureaucracies mm. because bureaucracies, there's a lot of bloat. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, you know, they're not lean and they don't turn on a dime, but I thought bigger was better. I am, I am not good in a bureaucratic organization. The other thing too, is an ethicist, you have to do stuff by the books, cronyism, nepotism, favoritism, that stuff triggers me too. Not holding <laughs> people to the same rules, insider deals, gray areas that triggers me. Guess what else isn't good for me in that? Bureaucracies, okay? <laughs> because there's so much stuff that goes on. And I was like, I'm trying to do the right thing, but it was it, it didn't sit well with my soul. So for anybody taking that new job, get with your leader, get with the organization, understand their values, and then get with your leader and make sure that this is a leader that's gonna bring out the best in you. And also your leader is not a mind reader. 
please make sure and let your reader or your leader know, hey, it's like the five love languages. This is how I respond best. Do, do them the benefit of letting them know because they're busy running stuff. And if you need more words of affirmation or if you need more challenges or if you need more kind of to work kind of separately on tasks, let them know. So that's what I would say going into it. Don't suffer in silence. Uh, share a lot with your boss. That is so beautiful what you just said. And I will tell you, it took me a very, very long time to learn how to do that. And it, and I would say even until just recently to be able to stand up for what I wanted. And one of the things that, you know, here at VIP, I'm just going to call it out. I mean, it's not bad, but I was expecting one way of management and management was completely different. And we sat down and we had a conversation about that. And I'm like, you don't have to bonus me. You don't have to, you know, give me any kind of prize or anything like that. All you have to do is walk by and say, good job, Casey. Yeah. Man, you will get so right. much out of me. But they weren't right. like that. They, they didn't realize how important that was to me. And the, they had, the partners had worked together for so long, they didn't talk to each other that way. They just right. assumed that you knew that they knew you did a good job, you know? And so after we had that conversation, it changed the entire dynamics for me in the office and it was amazing. So I would encourage you to stand up and ask for what you need. And like you said, they're not mind readers. Let them know. Right. So, right. And a lot of us will say, well, that's not fair. And, and you know, uh, I think it's Charles Carras wrote a great book um, and he has a quote and he says, in life, you don't get what's fair, you get what you negotiate. Yes. So go in and tell them what you need and also ask your, your leader what, remember, they have, an, they have in their mind the ideal follower and the follower has in their mind the ideal leader it's like any it takes two to tango so really make sure and and that's where we kind of um uh, we kind of adapt ourselves if we know somebody needs just to, the touch points the words the more challenges and communication is absolutely key and i think about all the times where i was like oh my boss this my boss and you know what i told everybody about my boss you know i should i should have just said something to them and not been such a such a bonehead about it. But um, now that I'm a leader, I'm like, oh, okay. I hope I don't have any followers like <laughs> I was. That is awesome. So <laughs> let, let's talk about tremendous leadership for just a second, because I don't. I want to talk about it before we run out of time, but tremendous leadership is changing the world one book at a time. What role has reading played in your leadership journey? Everything, everything. That's why I went back for my PhD, because I'm just obsessed with reading. The more I read, the better leader I become, the better person I become, the, the more compassionate I become, the smarter I become. Um, one of the things with reading is, especially in this world of absolute nonsense, narratives, and false crap everywhere, reading. Know your reading, know your sources. I tell people, if you can't cite it, don't write it. Okay, Ooh. that has made all the difference. I, I can now live at peace because I know how to research data and sources. Mm -hmm. I know how to look at a peer reviewed journal and say, who paid for that? Oh, okay, so follow the money. And I don't have to be indecisive. I don't have to be scared. I don't have to respond to stupid stuff. I don't have to be fearful. Knowledge is the greatest thing in the world because it gives you power, it gives you peace, and it helps you craft your vision going forward because the world changes at lightning speed. So books and knowledge, I don't know what I do without them. I wholeheartedly agree. And you know, you want, you want me to tell you something that makes me mad? What? There are so many books I'm not gonna get to read. 
And, I know, that's why I can't wait till heaven. And I'll just know it all then. And I don't yeah. have to worry about it. I was like, so I am actually taking a course right now to learn how to speed read so I can read more books. So cool. I know. Just like in the 80s. Is that, is that an 80s thing? Yeah, like the Evelyn, I forget, the speed reading course. I'm so glad. And the memory book. I'm rereading that because I'm like, man, I got to, things are going here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm going um, using Jim Quick's method. Oh, sure. So it's, and it's really. Well, that's why, uh, Casey, too, that's why we do the little books. So you can read more of them. You know, there we you do go. these little, our bestsellers, because there's so many books. And they say, Casey, that the average person, only 78% of the people get paid, past page 50 in a book. Okay. And I know I'm that way too. I have 15 books I've started at any one time. So that's why we True. do these little books. You I know, love They're it. just like 50 page, you know, here's, want to know about Lincoln? You know, here's Acres of Diamonds. Okay. Little books. So you can say, hey, I read five books this week and, <laughs> and be telling the truth. I'm an ethicist, right? I cannot lie. I love it. I love it. And I'm the same, Tracy. I have so many books started, but they're all on different topics. So it's kind of like depending yeah. on my mood, which one I pick up. So, but I'm one of those weird people. If I start a book, I have to finish it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, good for you. Yeah. I wish I was more like that. I'm, I'm weird. I'm weird that way. So no, going, good thing. going back to the book you referenced earlier, the 2.0, is that the Strengths Finder that you're referring to? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Highly recommend that for everybody. That is, uh, we'll have to trade strengths, see what we are. Yeah. And, and I'm so, Strength Finder, I think might be slightly different. This is Tom Rath's uh, and it's called Standout 2.0, but it is a uh, variation of finding your strengths. But I think okay. Strengths Finders is actually trademarked in a separate thing and Tom Rath's Standout 2.0 is separate. I'm gonna have to check that out. I haven't looked at that one. I would I would really recommend it. The okay. way he breaks it down into those categories, it was, I mean, when I saw this, and I mean, I saw it, I read it like, um, I don't know, like eight years ago. When I was out of corporations, I'm like, oh man, this makes sense. This is why, this is why that happened, or this is where I fell out of love with my boss or my organization, you know? It just made a whole lot of sense. Because you know something's not right, but it, but until you somebody lays it out, um, you, you don't know what it is. You can't put your finger on it. Absolutely. So I'm curious, what is one book you would recommend that might help our job seekers find that job? Uh, well, I would recommend the job seekers. You interviewed him, Phil Hess. Ask me anything. Okay. Yes. Phil's book, and it's one of these little ones. I'm telling you, he talks about understanding your value to the organization and understanding the organization. Mm -hmm. That is perfect. And it's a quick read. It's a beautiful read. And it's, it's, it's just like 50 little pages, but you go into this and you will confidently not only know that you're going to get the job, but know that this is a good fit for you. You don't want to start that job. And after the honeymoon period is over, go, Oh crap, this is no <laughs> different than the place I left. I've been there, okay? My dad would say that, don't leave a job because you don't like the people. You're not gonna like them at the next space ending either. Just stay with the ones you know, kind of thing. <laughs> but Phil's book is so tremendous, Ask Me Anything. And that is just a wonderful book because it's all about the preparation. 90% of you getting your foot, getting that job is in the preparation. Yep. Don't yep. wait till the day of and do not wing it. Yeah, and he has so many years of experience. I'm not sure if his episode has released yet. If it hasn't, it will soon. So if you're listening to this podcast, be sure and keep an eye out for it because she's right. It's a fantastic book if you're in a job search and you want to nail that next interview. So, 
Oh my goodness. Okay, so now we're to our VIP questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? Oh, what three things if I was one of the first colonists on Mars? What three things? Well, I'd probably, I'd take my top 10 books. I know that's kind of cheating and taking them in there, okay? <laughs> I'd take my husband because he's my best friend and he's a lot of fun. And, oh no, I'd have to pick my favorite pet. I, I don't know which one I'd pick, so I'd have to bring my animals too. <laughs> I like how you kind of snuck that in there. I thought you said you were a wolf. I know. Well, you know, you didn't really bound the, the question, so yeah. My, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, this is, I love all our questions, but I love this one in particular. So what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Well, actually what happens is I open my eyes and I lay there and I thank God that I woke up and that my eyes are open. And I just try to be at peace. And um, actually the one thing that I do to set my day for, up for success actually happens the night before where I list the top six things that I have to get done and then rack and stack them. So I already know when my feet hit the ground after I thank God that he has brought me into another day, I already have my list of my top things and boom, I'm off to the races. And that makes, for somebody like me that can get very pulled in different directions and unfocused very easily, that, that really sets me up for success. You know what? And the cool thing about that is, and I'm sure you know this, is that when you write that down, like right before you go to bed, you're chewing on it all night long in you your are. subconscious. And you know, right, right. And and somebody else told me too, the night before, they called it the divine door. As you're drifting off to sleep, imagine tomorrow being the most perfect day. What would it look like? Mm. So rather than churning over the events of today, you're already manifesting tomorrow. Yep. The great call the great uh, thing, bad thing that never happens. And you just go to sleep and you wake up in, in such a state. Our subconscious is everything. And we need so to much. free it at the end of the day and dial it into the wonderful things that are gonna happen tomorrow. Beautiful, I, I couldn't have said it better. That's so true, so true. I wish everybody knew that little secret, right? Right. That's so good. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Um, boy, what would the headline be? It would probably be life is still tremendous because it still is. And yeah. even though the bad things happen and the crazy things happen, life is still a triumphant journey. And, and that's, that's one of the greatest things that I'm still learning. I love it. I love it. How do people find you, get in touch with you? Absolutely. Well, they can go to two of our websites. One is TremendousLeadership.com, and that's where all our books, we, if you want to publish, um, our podcast is on there, all different things, our wonderful little life-changing classics, Phil's book, all the different things. We have a lot of free webinars. I have my courses on there, all different kinds of things. And my speaker website is TracyCJones.com. T-R-A-C-E-Y, uh, Tracy with an E, and that has um, a lot of my blogs, a lot of my podcasts, a lot of my um, different things that you can get in touch with me, speaking topics, all that different things, and interviews like this that we've done. So you can kind of listen to a whole bunch of tremendousness. Oh, I love it. So I'm going to make it to your website now? Oh, thanks, Casey. <laughs> okay. So I love it. We are out of time. I, I hate this. I, I could go on talking to you all day, but we are out of time. So I just have one last thing to say to you, Tracy. You are a VIP. Oh, 
Thank you, Casey. I truly appreciate it. You are too. <laughs> and that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.